If you're watching this intro on YouTube today, good luck. A male prisoner named Jonathan Richardson, who now goes by the name Autumn Cordelione, wants to undergo gender transition surgery, and he wants it to be done at taxpayer expense. Such a demand would be outrageous enough on its own. But it seems even more egregious when one learns that this inmate is not in the clink for jaywalking or tax fraud. This inmate is in prison for murdering a baby. The 41-year-old Richardson murdered the 11-month-old daughter of his girlfriend in Evansville, Indiana in 2001, according to the Indiana Department of Correction Records. After the crime, after his conviction, after his incarceration, Richardson continued to show no remorse, remarking to corrections officers, all I know is I killed the little effing B-I-T-C-H. Indiana law currently bars the corrections department from using taxpayer money for gender reassignment surgery. So the ACLU is suing to get the law overturned. On this ideological matter, unlike other issues, I've mentioned before that there can be no conciliatory middle ground. Either it's true or it isn't. There's no middle ground on a fundamental question of human nature. But in this particular case about that ideological matter, I think we might be able to come to a compromise. The ACLU wants to chop this unrepentant baby murderer's genitals off. The taxpayers do not want to chop this unrepentant baby murderer's genitals off. So what if we just chop his head off and call it a day? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. We've got a really insightful interview from Hungarian President Viktor Orban. Tucker Carlson flew over there. As so many American conservatives make the pilgrimage to Hungary these days, Orban has a really important lesson for the West, for America, as we look ahead potentially at World War III. Uh, first, though, I, I want to turn back to our own country and Washington. I also want to ask, did any of that intro make it to YouTube? Did any, poor, poor producer Danny must have had a field day with that one, trying to evade the YouTube censors. But speaking of problems in the head, Mitch McConnell, top Republican in the Senate, has had some health scares recently. You remember some weeks ago he was giving a press conference and he just kind of froze up and wasn't able to speak and just kind of, one couldn't tell if he was having a TIA or a seizure, or so, but whatever it was, he did seize up. He didn't he didn't say anything. I didn't even mention it at the time because I thought, look, this is an older man, and sometimes people have these health incidents. There's no use in making a big news story about it. Twice is a pattern, though, and so it's just happened again. Uh, Mitch McConnell was speaking to a local chamber of commerce, and as he was asked a question, he just seemed to lose his ability to respond. What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh. And then there you see, this happened last time, too. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? He stopped speaking and his mouth tightened up. And his mouth tightened up again here. 
All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. It's kind of looking off in the distance. You see this poor communications director is trying to salvage this. There's obviously all the press is here. Another aide comes to his side. I think not so much to speak to him as to give the appearance of speaking to him, so it looks like there's a reason he took a pause. Then he comes out of it. Somebody else have a question? Please speak up. And, she, you know, it's kind of a half-hearted attempt to to spin this, to say, oh, maybe the senator just couldn't hear you. Please speak up. Uh, but n- no one's really buying it. The press, for their part, were not, were not too cruel about it. Uh, th- this is rough stuff. I am not one for term limits. I'm not one for age limits. I think we have both of those things already in our country, and it's called an election, and the people can make their decisions if they want. I think Mitch McConnell, for all of his flaws and for all of his perhaps uh, philosophical or ideological ambiguity, I think he's a really effective wielder of power, and he deserves as much credit as Trump, I think, for overruling Roe v. Wade because he held the line so firm on the judges. So I, I like cocaine Mitch. You know, I'm, I'm pro cocaine Mitch. And uh, mostly because I don't want him and his mob to just gun me down with Tommy guns. Uh, but, but he's obviously approaching the end of his career. No question about it. There are going to be new calls for him to retire. I'm not one of the people making those calls, but it's going to happen. He's going to have to step down sooner or later. The reason I mentioned the story has nothing to do with him, really. It's much more about the state of our country. And it ties back into Hungary. When I was over in Hungary, I was really impressed, as are so many American conservatives who go over there, because they've got basically a conservative country, a conservative government, a mostly conservative culture, conservative public life at the anniversary of the country on St. Stephen's Day. They just had a big giant cross spinning in the sky made out of lights and drones. And the, the public culture is a Christian one. In America, we have a liberal public culture where we have rainbow parades going down the street and weirdos in leather jackets smacking each other around half naked. And in Hungary, they have a Christian public culture. In America, privately, people go to church. Privately, people live out normal religion. Just like in Hungary, people privately do all sorts of weird things that are probably not conducive to their flourishing. But it's the public, the political matter there that we're really talking about. And one of the reasons that the Orban government has been able to do that, to go from a country that was dominated by Soviet communists for 45 years to probably the leading conservative country of Europe, the only conservative country of Europe, the way they did that in part is because the government is quite young. The ministers, the the members of parliament, they're relatively quite young and vigorous and they've got new ideas. That is going to happen in America. And the shift is going to be huge. It's going to be as dramatic, maybe more dramatic, as as the sort of thing we saw in Hungary. Because the boomers and the silent generation, which is the generation before the boomers, they've just held on for so long. Don't forget, Bill Clinton, baby boomer president. Uh, George W. Bush, baby boomer president. Barack Obama, Gen X. So we're moving ahead in the generations. But then Donald Trump, we go back. So we get our third baby boomer president. Then Joe Biden, we go back even further. We get a silent generation president. These guys have held on to power for an abnormally long time. And when that generational shift happens, it's not going to happen gradually. It's going to happen all at once because all these guys are in their 80s. And so it's not going to be a a slow decline. It's going to be, they're all going to just quit or die in office, God forbid, or 
just be pushed out. And what is that shift going to mean? It's not that the shift is going to be left versus right necessarily. It's going to be generational. The young leftists, the AOCs, have a different approach to politics than the older leftists, like Dianne Feinstein or even Nancy Pelosi. The young conservatives, this is where this is especially pronounced, the young conservatives, people like J.D. Vance, people like Josh Hawley, people like Ron DeSantis, have a different approach to politics and conservatism, a, a different political philosophy than the Mitch McConnells and the older Republicans. And so when that shift happens, when it's the younger, when it's the J.D. Vances who are now running the Senate, conservatism, politics generally, is going to look a lot different. We've got one of those new generational, new right type candidates who might be running for office again. First, though, how's your health doing? Now, you might want to check out MediShare. Right now, go to MediShare.com slash Michael. As a Daily Wire listener, you are not just informed, you're engaged, and you value freedom and personal responsibility. That's why we think you will like MediShare. MediShare is a community-based approach to healthcare that lines up with the principles you believe in. Your values matter, and with MediShare, your healthcare dollars won't be used for medical procedures that don't line up with your beliefs. MediShare is the highest-rated healthcare sharing ministry with a 30-year proven track record. It's not health insurance. It's a community of 400,000 believers committed to caring and sharing with one another. Members save up to 55% or more on their monthly healthcare costs. For a limited time, Daily Wire listeners will receive a $150 gift card when you join MediShare. To find out more, go to MediShare.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. That is MediShare.com slash Michael. Terms and conditions apply, so head on over there right now. Go to MediShare.com slash Michael and get a $150 gift card. One of the brightest young stars, as far as I'm concerned, of the new right generation who did not win his Senate seat last time is Blake Masters. I really like Blake Masters. I think his head is screwed on pretty, pretty straight. And it was very sad that he lost his Senate race. And he might be running again. This, according to a report in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Blake is uh, considering entering the race for Kirsten Cinema's seat. And the reason this is particularly interesting is because Carrie Lake, who ran for governor last time and lost, she says the election was stolen. Maybe it was, who knows? But either way, she's not the governor. Uh, she seems to be running for that seat as well. Uh, so you could have a feisty little race. Uh, Carrie Lake has tied herself very closely to Trump. Like Masters has also tied himself closely to Trump. What do I think about it? I think, great, the more the merrier. I'm all for it. I'm very pro-primary. I know that there are uh, acolytes of all sorts of candidates who hate the idea of primaries, especially in the presidential race. They say, why doesn't Trump just not run that mean old Trump? He's not, we don't want him. Well, that you do want him. The Republican Party wants him because he's currently at 58% in the polls. But Or they'll say, why doesn't Ron DeSantis drop out? Why not? Because it's a primary and people run in primaries and these are tough guys with thick skin and I like it. I like seeing these fights in politics and I think Blake is a good candidate. I'm glad he's going to get in the race. The knock on Blake is that he's a loser. He lost his race. Kind of like George W. Bush. He lost his first race for Congress. Uh, Barack Obama, he lost his first race for Congress. A lot of very prominent, serious statesmen on the right and on the left lost their first race or lost a crucial race in their lives. Blake is a young guy. He can be a self-funder. He's made a lot of money. And he represents 
that that generational shift. I I am very much looking forward to the day. Much as I love Ronald Reagan, and I do, much as I love William F. Buckley Jr., and I do, I wrote the new introduction to Bill Buckley's most famous book, God and Man at Yale. I love all those guys, but those guys are dead. They're dead. They're in the dirt. And we shouldn't dig up their corpses and try to zap them back to life like Dr. Frankenstein and and have them be the be the bizarre, uncanny zombies of conservatism. They dealt with the problems of their time as best they could. Now we're in our time and we have a responsibility to deal with those problems. And politics involves eternal principles, yes, but it also involves changing circumstances and applying those eternal principles to totally new circumstances. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for the day when politicians will not just reflexively quote, mindlessly recite the pithy one-liners of conservative leaders who have been dead for 40 years. I'm excited for the day when we can inject a little fresh blood and some fresh ideas, and at the very least, some fresh approaches to politics. And that day does appear to be approaching rather rapidly. Young people get this, and Hungary gets this. Hungary gets this. So uh, Prime Minister Orban sat down with Tucker, and uh, this is the, uh, you know I love Tucker, and but I, just, I feel such envy because I was just over there for a few days, and I want to sit down with Viktor Orban. Maybe next time I go to, to Hungary, I will be able to do that. Uh, but at the very least, we got this excellent, excellent interview from Tucker, highly recommended, must watch, in which Orban discusses not just the divide between the East and the West or China and the West, but a big divide within the West. It's more about our civilization. I mean, the Western Christian civilization. Now, the main division line is not according to ideologies. It's, uh, it's, it's deeper. It has an anthropological character. So on one side, in Europe and probably in your country, but in Europe, definitely, there are groups of people who think that the most important thing of the world is their ego, themselves, me. This, this is the center of the world. The other camp of the people, the other part of the society thinks that it's not true because there are certain things which are more important than me, than my ego, family, nation, God. And because they are more important than me, I have to serve this higher level of things. So this society has a majority here in Hungary. And the other society, which is concentrating only me, you know, only dealing with myself, it's, it's more westernized, dominating factor of the political life. So insightful. One thing I really admire about Orban is he's a, a seriously intelligent, educated person who takes knowledge and learning and wisdom very seriously. And I know that seems really basic. You would hope that all your statesmen would do that, but they don't. They patently don't. And the other thing I like is, he, is he, he's not just some completely disconnected intellectual in an ivory tower somewhere. He's a statesman. He's a guy in the rough and tumble of politics, but he takes these broad historical and philosophical questions very seriously, and he can simplify it. This is one of the signs that, that somebody knows what he's talking about is when he can take a complex matter like this anthropological divide within Western civilization and distill it down in really simple terms. Here's the divide. People who think that I, me, my is the most important thing on earth and people who think that there are more important things than me. Simple enough, and it's so true. I think even if you caught the 
Western liberals and liberal-leaning so-called conservatives, if you caught them in a moment of candor, maybe you got them after a couple of drinks, they would admit this. They would be proud of this. They would say, yes, of course, I exist to fulfill myself. I'm interested not in caring for my family and community and country. I'm interested in self-love. I need self-care, you know. It's just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of me now. Kim Kardashian said this after her divorce. She said, in my 40s, I'm finally going to, I'm going to take care of myself. <laughs> As though she'd, she was Mother Teresa before that, but now she's going to take care of herself. And it's not just the left. It's the right. It's the right under the influence of people like Ayn Rand, the right under the influence of an, a hyper-individualism, the right under the influence of libertarianism, which says, yeah, me. I mean, my greed is good. I'm just going to pursue my own interests. You leave me alone. You can't tell me what to do. I'm entitled to do whatever I want. That's my freedom. That's my liberty. That's not the classical Western understanding of liberty. That's not the Christian understanding of liberty, but it is the modern liberal conception. It's exactly what Prime Minister Orban is talking about. And he says, look, that's a view. Uh, he's, he's obviously criticizing it, but he's more just describing it. He's saying that is the dominant view in the West. But we have a different view which is, much as I want to pursue my own individual interests, much as I like myself, much as I have certain desires, I recognize some things are more important, namely family, country, and God. Family is the basic political community. Man, going back, this is a big distinction between liberalism, classical, modern, and otherwise, and the classical Christian tradition. Liberalism says, the basic unit of society is the individual. Christianity and Aristotle and classical understandings of politics say that the basic unit of society is the family. And it's the family because politics is public. So it involves other people. It says that man is a political creature, the social animal. Okay. Big difference. So Orban says, starts with the family and then goes to love of country and the importance of nation right? Because that's an extension of the family. It's an extension of the kinsfolk and the tribe, and, and your patriotism is an extension of filial piety. And ultimately, what this, is, what this is ordered toward is God, because some things are good and true and beautiful, and we should want to seek for those, and some things are destructive and ugly and false and not conducive to our flourishing, and we should avoid those. And the name for truth, for truth himself, is God, is G Jesus. And the name for the highest good, the sumum bonum, in, uh, to use an older Latin phrase, is God. So that's what we're going to orient all of our political efforts toward. Really basic stuff. And or or Orban, I really like, he's so clear-eyed about this. He's really humble about it because he'll say, look, we're a country of 10 million people. <laughs> we're not going to lead anything. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to be the dominant hegemonic power ever. We don't, we're landlocked. Are you kidding me? But because of the unique circumstances of Hungary, it's got this weird language that nobody speaks. It's a pretty coherent people. The country's 1,100 years old. We've been able to preserve this thing. And maybe we could look and learn some lessons because there's one statistic that shows you how these ideas are playing out in society. Every single country in the West is dying, is literally dying, not having enough people to replace themselves, and the birth rates generally continue to plummet. 
one country has started to turn the birth rate problem around. Coincidentally, it's the one that says, I, me, my is not the top priority. Family, country, and God is. Pretty simple stuff. I'm not saying it's easy to implement, but it's pretty simple. Now, when you want to start making a family, you're, you're probably going to want a bed for that, and you ought to check out Helix. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. With everything going on in the world right now, you could really use a good night's sleep. That is why you need to check out Helix Mattress. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. They just launched their new Helix Elite collection, which includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. I've had my Helix for years. I absolutely love it. Night after night, I sleep like a sweet little child, like like an angel, okay? Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Get out of my mattress. I'm a married man. Go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. Take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Their flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Knowles with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Folks, it's almost here. The new 10-part original series with Candace. Convicting a murderer is coming to Daily Wire Plus next week. Very excited about this series. You'll see the shocking amount of evidence that was omitted in Making a Murderer. Don't take my word for it. Watch the series yourself. Draw your own conclusions. Here's the trailer. This is a collect call from an inmate at the Calumet County Jail. The man served 18 years in prison until DNA evidence cleared his name. The Two Rivers man was convicted of sexual assault in 1985, but exonerated with DNA evidence in 2003. So this is the infamous Avery Lott. Now, two years later, he again finds himself tied to a police investigation. Accused of murdering Teresa Holbuck on the Avery property. Stephen Avery's 16-year-old nephew admitted his involvement in the rape and murder of Teresa Holbuck. The car is discovered just around the bend. It was just this worldwide phenomenon. I think they framed this guy. I think he intended to crush the vehicle, but ran out of time. Avery thinks the $36 million lawsuit he filed is why he's being targeted in this investigation. 1021 at 24 Main Street. Do we have Stephen Avery in custody? Netflix made millions of dollars from making a murderer, but the filmmakers left out very important details. Mountains of evidence that you have not yet seen. The blood vial. The most egregious manipulation from the movie. Interrogations. So that's when he started beating me because I told him that he's sick. Cell phones. And I saw melted plastic parts of a cell phone. Interviews. Her arms were pinned behind her head. They made Stephen Avery look like a victim. You believe your brother's guilty? I don't know if I'm a suspect. I got on hide. I'm getting sick and tired of media deception. Evidence piling up. Why would they omit so many different things? Why are you editing my testimony? I am not going to make the same mistake that the filmmakers did. Rearranging the testimony. They delete a portion of it at the end. How could they claim to care about the truth? They all know that Stephen Avery committed this crime. The evidence forces me to conclude that you are the most dangerous individual ever to set foot in this courtroom. 
Daily Wire viewers get exclusive early access on September 7th to view episodes one and two of Convicting a Murderer. The series makes its official debut on X, once known as Twitter, on September 8th at 9 Eastern. Candace will also be hosting a live event on X at 5 p.m. Eastern with some special guests. Stay tuned for that. The full series will only be available on Daily Wire Plus, so go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get access to watch the full series as new episodes are released every Thursday. For a limited time, you get 25% off with code TRUTH. So take advantage of that before the offer runs out on September 7th. Code TRUTH for 25% off your subscription, dailywireplus.com slash subscribe. You want to see proof of this problem that we only think about individuals and ourselves and we don't think about the family and the nation and broader groups. We don't think of ourselves as a people anymore. We just think of ourselves as individuals. New York City is going to be broadcasting public Muslim prayers throughout the day with very few restrictions. Previously, there were some restrictions on the loudspeakers blaring the Muslim prayers in New York. Now, Eric Adams taking those restrictions largely away. According to the new rules, says the mayor, mosques will not need a special permit to publicly broadcast the Islamic call to prayer, the Adhan, on Fridays and at sundown during Ramadan. Uh, for too long, he says, there's been a feeling that our communities were not allowed to amplify their calls to prayer. Today, we're cutting the red tape and saying clearly that mosques and houses of worship are free to amplify their call to prayer on Fridays and during Ramadan without a permit. And Muslim New Yorkers will not live in the shadows of the American dream while I'm mayor of the city of New York. Okay. I like Muslims. I like Muslims. I especially in our modern culture that has gone completely liberal and atheist and off the rails. I feel that in many ways, I have a lot more in common with Muslims who at least recognize that God exists and we owe him some worship and we ought to orient our lives around something other than just the hedonistic pursuit of pleasure and material goods. I, I, I get it. So I'm really not knocking Muslims here in any way, but is New York now a Muslim city? I'm a New Yorker. I was raised in New York, born in New York. Is I don't remember it being a Muslim city. It, not that long ago, it was a Christian city. It was an explicitly Christian city. The most beautiful cathedral in America is in New York, St. Patrick's Cathedral. About a bazillion parishes all throughout New York. Lots of devout Catholic immigrants over time. The Irish the Italians, Hispanics now. In 1956 on Easter, there's a famous picture of those, those three gigantic skyscrapers in New York where they arranged their lights in their windows to be in the sign of a cross. So you had the three crosses just like on Mount Calvary. But now I guess it's a Muslim city. Now, what Eric Adams would say, what the liberals will say is, no, it's just a city for everybody. Just everybody, you can do whatever you want. You can have a Christian prayer. I mean, we don't have something like the call to prayer on the loudspeakers. But, you know, you could have church bells maybe, and we could have the the Muslim call to prayer, the adhan through the loudspeakers, and we could, I don't know, whatever the Jews want to do, they can do that too. Everybody can just do everything. Well, how can, how can they? If let's say there's a church and a mosque right next to each other, and they both want to broadcast their loud prayers at the same time. You can't do it both at once. That's just going to be cacophonous. That's going to be incoherent. So you're going to have to have some either permitting process or you're going to have to prioritize one over the other. Not to say that Muslims can't practice their religion, not to say that we're going to persecute anybody of any religion, but 
When mutually contradictory ideas and practices come into conflict, you can't simultaneously exalt both of them. That would be a violation of Aristotle's law of non-contradiction. We've known about this one for a long time. Millennia, we seem to have forgotten it though. Politics has to have a certain character. Inevitably, it will, because public life is not infinite. We're limited by time. We're limited by space. We're limited by the airwaves. You can only broadcast one thing across one medium at one time. So we need to agree upon a public character for things. And in recent decades, we've totally knocked that out. America was founded as a Christian nation. It grew as a Christian nation. Our civilization's been Christian for 2,000 years. And then all of a sudden, about half a century ago, we just one day pretended that it's not. And so we said, no, you can't. This is a country. It's a secular country. It's a secular civilization. Now, people still want there to be a Christmas tree in the public square. People, because people are still normal, even if they don't talk normal. They, they at least behave usually in a kind of normal way. At least the ordinary, run of the mill, everyday people, maybe not the intellectual geniuses who run our society off the rails. So they still want those things. People still want a nativity scene in the public square. But the way that the courts have justified this in recent years is to say, oh, well, these are actually secular, so they're okay. The Christmas tree, it's not a Christian symbol. It's a secular symbol. It's just part of our culture. Even the creche, the nativity scene, baby Jesus in a manger, in a way, it's kind of secular, they say. They justify it on its, on its secularity. I don't want it to be justified on being secular. It's not. It's deeply religious. And the reason people want it is because we're a Christian country. And that means that when Christianity comes into conflict with other belief systems, Christianity needs to get pride of place. It needs to get precedence. It means that when people are arguing over what goes in the the public square, the Christmas tree or a statue of a demon called Baphomet, which actually was put inside a public government building not that long ago, we say, nah, no no demons, sorry. If you want to worship demons, go out in the middle of the night with witches in the woods. We're not even going to really stop you from doing that. But no, in public, no, we don't do that. If the Muslims want to have a call for prayer at some special time, I'm not even totally opposed to some version of that. But there are going to have to be some restrictions on that so as not to completely upend the public character of our country, which has existed for over 200 years in our civilization for 2,000. We need to start thinking. I know this is going to be a naughty word for conservatives, and some of the libertarian types are not going to want to hear it. It's the C word, and you're not allowed to say the C word. We're going to need to think collectively, not like communists— not where you break everything down to its basic part and build it back up in this weird, heinous amalgam like, like, like Dr. Frankenstein, but like a culture, like a people with a common good, like a country. Those are the other C words that, that impel one to think a little more collectively. A lot of individuals does not a country make. A country is made up of families and communities with culture and rituals and habits and beliefs that define the whole place. And sometimes when we have individual desires that, that are not conducive to our own flourishing or the flourishing of society, sometimes we've got to give those a back seat and do the things that are good for everybody in all the individuals included. Now, speaking of religion and public life, CNN is very upset. CNN is furious because Uganda has just arrested a child rapist. And CNN is furious about that. They don't, that's bad. Because this is what the headline says. Two Ugandan men 
may face death penalty after, quote, aggravated homosexuality charge. Two men in Uganda are facing separate charges of aggravated homosexuality, an offense punishable by death under the country's controversial new anti-gay laws. These are anti-gay laws. Now, what I love about Twitter under Elon Musk, X now, is these, these reader notes, the little reader added context notes. In this case, on the CNN tweet, it says, one man is accused of having a sexual relation with a disabled man, the other of a sexual act with a 12-year-old child. Both are charged with aggravated homosexuality to find his same-sex relations with someone who is HIV positive, a child, an elderly person, or disabled. Okay, before getting into the weeds on what that means, we're talking about two cases here, one of which involves a, a child rapist. And the, the headline and the first line in the CNN article says, this is, this is an example of the country's new anti-gay laws. I thought the LGBT movement just spent 40 years trying to convince everybody that LGBT activism has nothing to do with grooming little kids. Right? There was, they always had kind of a reputation that what they did involved little kids. And then they spent 40 years of marches and political campaigns and willing grace and all the rest of it saying it has nothing to do with little kids. And then they've spent the last three or four years focusing on little kids specifically, transing little kids in schools, bringing gay porn into elementary schools. And now CNN, CNN in print, lumping in pederasty with homosexuality and saying that pederasty is implying that pederasty is an intrinsic part of homosexuality. And if you outlaw pederasty, your, your law constitutes an anti-gay piece of legislation. Uh, th this phrase aggravated homosexuality, it, it refers to a few different things, including uh, sex with same-sex people who are disabled or elderly or otherwise incapacitated. And there are going to be people in the West who say, well, that's crazy. You know, we wouldn't have a law like that. That's insane. Okay. First of all, Uganda is a different culture than our culture. Uganda, we used to have laws that were not so open about doing all sorts of weird sex stuff, but Uganda still has those laws. And you might say, well, I don't agree with those laws. Okay, you don't live in Uganda, so I don't know why it's so much of your concern unless you are a dedicated liberal who wants to impose liberalism around the entire world. Because we've got three things coming into conflict here. In the, in the controversy over Uganda. One is the really creepy approach of Democrats to little kids and sex. That's obviously the most obvious part. But putting that aside, we got three things coming into conflict. Liberalism, which says everyone should be able to do whatever weird sex stuff they want all the time, no matter what the communities think, no matter what the cultures think, no matter what the religion thinks or the state thinks. The next one is democracy. I promise you, the majority of Ugandans are not in favor of pederasty or any other kind of weird sex stuff. So here, you've got liberalism and democracy at odds. We're always talk we're talking about liberal democracy, and we use the two interchangeably. They're totally at odds here. And self-determination. Who determines the laws in Uganda? The Ugandans or CNN and elite liberals in America? Who gets to determine it? Listen, the, the coherent liberals, the consistent ones, are going to say, we do. Ugandans don't have any right to run their own country. We determine that because they're wrong and we're right. Okay, that's one view. It's an, it's an imperialist view, but fair enough. It's a liberal imperialist view, so not, that's not great, but okay. But at least one has to recognize the rank hypocrisy of the 
constant babbling about our democracy. We have to preserve democracy from the evil fascist anti-democracy people. And then out of the very next breath, they say, we need to destroy democracy in Uganda. We need to destroy democracy in Hungary. They don't like Orban, Orban obviously. We need to destroy democracy in, or they didn't like it when Italy elected Maloney. We need to destroy democracy in any number of places that contradict liberalism. My favorite comment yesterday is from Elaine M5184, who says, Mini Michael also has a St. Michael Protectus patch on his backpack. You really can't make this up. Yes, uh, the, the young man, the 12-year-old boy, who stood up to his teacher and whose mother stood up to the teacher and refused to take off his Gadsden flag from his backpack after these ridiculous educators said it was a pro-slavery patch or some ignorant nonsense. Uh, that boy, some have pointed out that he and I have a little bit of a resemblance. And I've said, I want to state it for the record. People seem confused. That boy is not, to the best of my knowledge, my son. It's a wise, wise child who knows his own father, Listen, life, you know, people do all sorts of weird things and we lose memories. And But I don't, I am very confident that boy is not my son, but I'm extremely proud of him. Maybe he's like a sort of spiritual child, you know, and uh, he did, in addition to the Gadsden flag, which is fine, he also had a St. Michael patch. Very, very cool, very conservative. That boy has a bright future ahead of him. Now, speaking of foreigners, Speaking of foreigners, actually, before I move on from the Uganda thing, there's one line I got it. The, the attorney, Justine Balia, who's representing one of the guys in the Ugandan aggravated homosexuality cases, tells CNN, quote, of course, the fact that the law is being enforced in this way is entirely unconstitutional because it seeks to criminalize what is often consensual conduct between adults. Often consensual conduct? Hold on, wait, what? You're... You're saying, look, this law, this law is awful and terrible and unconstitutional because it, like, sometimes the the conduct is consensual. Excuse me? That's your best defense? Okay, not not a very good defense. But moving on, speaking of foreigners, Corinne Jean-Pierre at the White House has said that Joe Biden has stopped the flow of foreigners, illegal aliens, into the United States. Eric Adams, the New York mayor, is saying about these migrants uh, in New York City, any plan that does not include stopping the flow at the border is a failed plan. So why aren't you guys stopping the flow at the border? We are stopping the flow at the border. If anything, the, what the president has been able to do on his own without the help of Republicans in Congress, something that he had to do on his own again because Republicans refuse uh, to give the funding necessary to deal with a situation, uh, immig a broken immigration system that has been broken for decades. They choose, what they choose to do is play politics, but the, the president has put a plan that is indeed, uh, the data showing is that it is indeed uh, um, stopping, slowing down the flow uh, of unlawful migration. And that is because of the work that this president continues to do without, without the help of Republicans. What Corinne Jean-Pierre just said is not true, but there is a little tiny kernel of truth there. And this is, this is this thing that the liberals always do. Here's how it's not true. Since May, there have been about 3,600 illegal aliens crossing our southern border, illegally, obviously, every single day. 3,600. That does not sound like a stopped flow of migration. It sounds like historic highs. 
think the, the exact number we're down to now is about 3,360. That's where there are, obviously there's significant fluctuation. Now, the reason that there's a little tiny kernel of truth in what she's saying is back in March, the number was 7,100. So there was this huge, insane surge. Insa- 30, 30, 3,360 is an insane surge too, but this is double that. 7,100. Uh, and then they got it down a little bit. So what Corinne Jean-Pierre can say is, oh yeah, we're stopping the flow. We were at 7,100 a day. So we're talking millions and millions and millions of illegal aliens pouring across per year. And now it's down to only over 3,000. I remember just a few years ago when we got up to 2,000. That was historic, shocking crisis. But now they're saying 3,360. Oh, that's pretty good. That's stopping the flow. And this is what the liberals always do. This is how they gain power. They take a lot and then they give back a little bit. They take a lot and then they, they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to kill babies up until the moment of birth. And then, okay, we'll put some restrictions in the third trimester, maybe in some places, but probably not even that. Oh, good. See, we're winning, conservatives. See, look, the liberals are moderating. They're compromising. Hey, we're going to trans everybody down to kindergarten. Okay, maybe just middle school. Oh, good. We're winning. We're fighting back in the culture. What are you talking about? We started here. You started on the 50-yard line. Liberals took this thing all the way down to the end zone. And then we go back to, what, the five-yard line? Ten-yard line? Okay. Well, look, we're winning. We're not winning. We're getting crushed. (laughs) We're getting destroyed. But because they are so bold in their aggression, which conservatives almost never are, we're, we're always negotiating with ourselves. We're all, we always listen to the, the squishes and the libs and the establishment types who say, well, we can't really, we can't try to ban abortion. You know, that's not where the, well, that's not where the voters are, you know. Oh, yeah? You think the voters were for transing the kids? No, they weren't. The Democrats just took it, and then they ceded a little bit of territory back, and then that was the new normal. Well, I don't, I don't know. This is such a, just tactically, it's such a stupid tactic. Anybody, if you've ever engaged in a job negotiation or any kind of negotiation, you know, never negotiate against yourself. Always ask for the most extreme thing that you could plausibly get and then allow your negotiation partner to pair you back a little bit. That's what the liberals do. That's not what we do. We negotiate with ourselves and we lose. Now, speaking of regression, John Mellencamp, just got into trouble. You know, the musician, John Mellencamp, he was on a Bill Maher's show and he made an outrageous claim. He said, black people are not better off today than they were 200 years ago. The playing fields are a lot better than the cotton fields. That's what I would say about that. Maybe I'm crazy, John, but it seems like making no money as a slave picking cotton was, it was not as good as playing left field for the Yankees. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there were, uh, you know, reasons why Dave Winfield has some beefs against Steinbrenner, I'm sure. No doubt there is one or two percent of black people in America who have a better life. Oh, stop. That's what you think? One or two percent? Okay, let's say 10 percent. I'm just pulling a number out of my ass. It is. That's where it belongs. Okay, I just (laughs) pulled a number out of my ass. I know, but I'm telling you, that's that's just not true. But, you know. Well, okay, well. I I mean, that's to... Listen. We do have statistics. Talk to my my son. He'll tell you. Well, he saw one very horrific incident. Maybe that 
has colored his thinking. Well, why do you think that's the only incident that happens? Of course not. So I know you're going to look at this and you're going to say Bill Maher is being the more reasonable one here. Because John Mellencamp, he's referring to some incident of some black guy got beat up or something. And he's saying, see, this is proof that the KKK runs around the country and this is America's as bad as it was under slavery or whatever. And Bill Maher says, no, I don't think so. You know, I think actually playing left field for the Yankees is probably, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's probably a little better than, you know, working the cotton fields. But in a way, I think I'm more on Mellencamp's side here when he says black people are not better off than they were 200 years ago, at least, let's say, 150 years ago. So it, we don't have great statistics from slavery, but after slavery, we start to get some relatively better numbers. It's true that black people get a higher wage than they did when they didn't have a wage, but here's just one crucial statistic. Marriage rates collapsed. So there was very little legal marriage among slaves under under slavery. Tennessee actually, I think, allowed allowed marriage with between slaves. But it was very hard, obviously, because if a slave gets sold down the river, then there goes the family. The family's broken up. It's just absolutely horrific. So a- after slavery, though, you get legal marriage, and black people got married m- at much higher rates, and they got divorced at much lower rates, and they had families in a much more stable way. Today, that has collapsed. That alone means black people are not better off than they were 150 years ago. That alone, Just that one statistic. And you see it among so many other areas of society. But just that one statistic would do it. See, well, they're better off because they have more money. Maybe, yeah, maybe that maybe they have more money. But money isn't everything. Money isn't money is fine to have. I'm not opposed to it, but it's not even the primary thing. And our society has duped itself into thinking that that's all that matters. That's that's why we've embraced globalism and liberalism and Materialism is because we think that ticking up the GDP is all that matters. The liberals have thought that, and the conservatives have thought that. And so we say, well, who cares if you lose your borders and your culture and your national identity and your religion, and who cares about that? We're getting more cheap crap from China, and we we have more trade, and look, look at how the cost of certain goods has come down. In some cases, it's actually spiked up because inflation's going crazy because our economy is totally out of whack. But yeah, okay. Also, look at how our life expectancy has gone down because people are killing themselves and ODing on drugs. Look at how birth rates have collapsed because people aren't getting married and they are getting divorced and they are using contraception and they are killing their children through abortion and they're doing all these sorts of things that mean that we are not, we, we fool ourselves in, in a liberal society. We say, oh, we're so much better off because we have iPhones. We are worse off today by almost every measure than we were 100 years ago. We have better dental care, I guess. That's true. I'm not saying we're worse off in every measure. But if your society is literally dying, and if the building block of society is collapsing and has actually been defined into nothingness in recent years, you cannot say with a straight face that you're any better off than you were 100 years ago. In fact, you are much worse off. Okay, speaking of spiritual matters, today is Theology Thursday. And we've gone through, we had a Protestant, we had a Catholic, we had a Jew, Now we're going to have a little bit of a mixture of all of those things. We're going to have a a Messianic Jew on, Dr. Golan Broshi for Theology Thursday. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 